Hi everyone and welcome to the Cucumber Podcast. Um, I'm Steve Took and today joining me from Cucumber we've got uh, Aslak Kalasoy. Hello everyone. Julian Busymans. Hi. Matt Wynn. Just finishing my lunch. Hello. And we've also got Josh from Features joining today. Um, Aslak, you invited Josh on uh, to join us. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so... Um... Josh and I have been working together for a few months now, um, working on Cucumber Pro. Uh, we, we hired Josh as a contractor and um, had a fantastic time working with him. Um, and I think he just brings a lot of, uh, a lot of experience and insight um, about, about BDD and software, um, software architecture in general. And I think he's just a really smart guy that... I think more people should have, uh, you know, more people should have the opportunity to uh, to listen to his wisdom. Oh wow, thank you, Asla. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, so I'm Josh. Uh, I run a, a small consultancy in London called Featurist. Featurist is a, a little nod to BDD. Been doing BDD for a very long time. Uh, worked with Matt Wynn back at the BBC, uh, and we kind of we we got into BDD at around the same time, which is very early on when it was uh, Cucumber was kind of spinning out of the Aspect Story Runner at the time, um, and I've been doing it ever since. Wow! So you've been doing it like ten years, and you're still you're you're still not fed up with it. <laughs> I'm still not fed up with it, and somehow I'm I'm still not fed up with testing through the GUI. In fact, I'm determined that it's uh it's still worth doing despite the uh, all the hate it gets. Ah! Right. Yes, yes, you're right. Right. So this is one of the things we really wanted to talk about today on the podcast: testing through the UI. Um, I don't know where do we start. What what do we mean by testing through the UI? Uh, well, I guess that means that uh, you write automated tests that uh, that drive a uh, a GUI. And traditionally, uh, the you know TDD wizards have have kind of claimed that it's not worth testing through the GUI because uh, GUIs are brittle and uh, full of incidental detail, and uh, they cha- they're subject to kind of frequent change. Um, and that means that that you're you're constantly be in this cycle of kind of uh, fixing tests. Um, and uh, of course, when uh, anybody that's tested through the GUI knows that to be true, um, I'm kind of personally of the opinion that uh, things are changing now, um, and that we have some options uh, that that allow us to kind of test more effectively through the GUI. Um, and so that's what I'm here to talk about. So, so tell me then, Josh, what, why do you think it is important to test through the GUI? Uh, well, uh, particularly nowadays with these, uh, you know, the, the uh, kind of fat client web apps that we tend to build these days, uh, more of the app is in the GUI than it was uh, any time before, particularly as we work on kind of uh, client server web apps. Uh, and we put a lot of uh, a lot of behavior on the front end, uh, particularly with single page apps, which are kind of fashionable at the moment. Um, so testing under the GUI, as the uh, as the kind of uh, age old advice uh, suggests, uh, just misses out a large part of your application code. Um, and so the risk of doing that has kind of uh, uh, has increased over the years, I think. Um, and yeah, so. That's it, really. So it's important to test through the GUI because uh, there's so much GUI out there, you know, as part of a typical application. And I suppose testing through the GUI doesn't necessarily mean 
that you have to test your entire application stack right the way through the back end and the database and its stored procedures and its message queues and all of that stuff. It's more about, for you, it's just being able to pick up the GUI because it's an important piece of the app and be able to test it, whether you necessarily integrate it entirely with everything else in the app is a, is a kind absolutely. of question. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so uh, just like we kind of uh, split the app up into uh, small and smaller units to uh, test isolated pieces of it, the GUI is just one of those pieces. And we've had a lot of success kind of testing the GUI in isolation from the back end. And that's something that, um, that uh, we can talk about today. Um, yeah, so, so there's, there's testing the whole app, and then there's, there's testing the whole app in lots of different modes, which is something that I think on, on Cucumber Pro uh, is one of the, one of the things that uh, with the kind of hexagonal architecture um, that we've been able to kind of test the, the GUI without the brittleness of, the, of, of all of the back-end brittle bits like uh, databases and so forth. Um, so it's possible to kind of test the app uh, with faked out versions of the back end. And that's another, another way to kind of achieve, um, you know, big end-to-end -end tests uh, that don't necessarily suffer from a brittleness on both sides. I think that's a really important distinction to make because, you know, I see, I, you know, I meet with a lot of different software teams and, and the ones that are testing through the UI or through the GUI, very, very few of them make any, or, well, very, very few of them are able to actually decouple the back-end stuff when they're testing the GUI. Um, they, you know, they test the whole enchilada and, and with all of the problems that, um, that come after that. Why, I mean, is that, is that your experience as well? Absolutely, yeah, and I think that uh, because because the whole app is under test, and that includes uh, you know the the, the brittle uh, front end and the uh, brittle back end, uh, that that uh, UI testing in general gets a bit of a bad rap because um, because it's associated with testing the full stack, yeah. um, and so yeah, one of the one of the uh, the ways that we we reduce that brittleness is by cutting off the back end or so that that would mean either uh use, using the back end but with um kind of in process uh dependencies instead of uh, kind of slow asynchronous things that can cause uh cause problems in their own right um and another way you know you can take it take it further than that and and uh and stay completely on the on the kind of client side and uh kind of mock out the interaction with the back end so you know the the apps that we're talking about here are kind of client server web apps uh mm -hmm. that use a lot of ajax um to uh, so, so, the, so the the app as a whole is is a mixture of uh, very complex client side code and very complex back end code, um, and so covering all of that uh, tends to introduce uh, a lot of uh, brittleness. Um, so it's about uh, you know kind of identifying where that brittleness is and uh, and running those GUI tests in in, in different ways uh, such right. that, that so, setting <clears throat> so, so setting yourself up so that you know, for the majority of your tests only have one brittle component in the mix exactly. at a time. Yeah, instead of all of them, yeah. One of the things 
So one of the things I think I've heard, because uh, you mentioned like TDD wizards say it's not worth the effort to test with the UI because it's so brittle and things. Yeah. As, to sort of clarify that a bit, I think, I think the way I've heard it said is don't test business rules through the UI. And I'm, I'm sort of hearing the way you're talking about the single page applications and the, the heavy front end JavaScript applications is actually more and more of the business rules are moving into what we traditionally think of as like the UI layer or something. Um, yeah. But is there kind of is there a way actually that you can like architect that that piece of your application so you can separate testing the business rules that are, that live up there away from actually relying on interactions like button clicks and and things like that? Uh, well, there's certainly ways that you can structure your code such that uh, you test that stuff in isolation. I guess the um, the the, the when, you, when we're talking in the context of, of Cucumber, we, we're traditionally talking about uh, end-to-end uh, scenarios that cover lots of interactions with web pages. And so in, the, in, in this case, um, you, you want to cover your, a lot of the time anyway, you want to cover the user interaction and what goes on in the back end at the same time. Um, so traditionally, that would mean uh, kind of going across the wire if the... Um, if the business logic is implemented on the web server side, and uh, the button clicks are what's happening on the the uh, on the front end, so so it becomes a question of where, where exactly where that business logic is. Um, but but certainly, I think I think uh, what we strive to uh, achieve a lot of the time is to test as much of that stuff uh, as possible, so so as to kind of decouple yourself from the implementation details uh, and so the tests are, are really kind of uh, you know from the very outside um, and I think that's a real challenge um, in terms of that that brittleness thing so uh, one of the ways we can do that is is obviously to mock out the entire back end but then you have this thing where you've kind of you've recreated the uh, the the interaction with the back end in the tests themselves. Uh, so we strive to kind of cover as much as possible, such that uh, you know th those that protocol between the front end and the back end isn't part of the test infrastructure, and you don't end up you know because that can be a, a real kind of inhibitor to change. Which is you know you want you want that you want to be able to change that stuff over time. And we all know kind of with with interaction testing where we where we uh, where the tests are coupled to interactions between components uh, rather than kind of from the very outside that you get into a position where where the, the tests themselves become inhibitors to change so um, what we try and do is, is actually cover as much of the you know with the UI tests cover as much back-end and front-end stuff at the same time but somehow without being coupled to uh, uh, the the you know the details of the the protocol between those two things. Yeah. Should should we talk a bit about why else people like consider GUI tests to be brittle? Because like they are painful, aren't they? Like um, using Selenium yeah. to test a, a web GUI is painful because it's slow. Like you have to wait for a browser to start. Um, and then even moving around the app is is relatively slow uh, compared to you know just making method calls directly on an API or something. And then sometimes when it fails, you have this kind of opaque like uh, error message in a stack trace about something that happened in a browser that you can't see. Like if this happens in CI, 
maybe maybe your CI server is sophisticated and it took a screenshot or even a video of the browser, but you haven't like actually got the browser there. Um, but an error happened in a browser at some point, and now you've got to try and work out how it happened. Probably when you rerun the test, you can't get that same error to happen again because it was a fluke. Like it was a lucky yeah. thing that happened because two bits of code were having a race and one of them won in an unusual way. Um, so there's all of that. And so it's like, it's, it's, it can be unreliable and slow, but it's also like hard to get your hands on because yeah, it's sort absolutely. of in this like distant place. It's not like right, right there in the code, the same way as if you just call methods directly from a, a unit test. Yeah, so that that's that a large part of that is down to the the kind of the the remoting inter interface between the two things, right? So you've got the the test kind of talking to a remote browser. They're a separate process, right? So you've got this this thing running in the in the browser that's completely disconnected, and they might talk over. So in Selenium's case, they'll be talking over a kind of wire protocol, an HTTP protocol, um, and so what that means is that when things go wrong. Um, well, you've inherently got that that uh, that that asynchrony, and and like you say, there's uh, they can go wrong for lots of different reasons, um, but they can go wrong in different ways when you run them in different uh, on different machines and so forth. Uh, so that's really difficult to deal with. But also, like you say, it's kind of um, it it a large part of the problem is is that uh, because it because the application under test is running in a remote process from, from the test perspective. Asynchronous tests uh, are, are hard enough as it is, but when, when the thing that you're driving is kind of far away and you can't see it, uh, then, then it becomes doubly hard. Yeah, well, because you've got three processes, right? You've got, you've got, you've got the, the process running your tests, and you've got the process running your browser, and then you've got the process running your server-side web app. And a database, yeah. And, and, a, yeah. and a search indexing yeah. thing, and yeah, on and on and on. And this, this is one of my pet peeves. This is, you know, when you've got all these different processes, the only ways that you can communicate between them is through, uh, you know, through I/O, um, and and that is the single most important uh, thing that will slow your test suite down. You know, they'll they'll become two to three orders of magnitude slower than than a test that runs in process. And That's that right. just kills productivity. It does. And so what, what ends up happening as a result of, uh, well, slow tests in general is that you end up not running them as frequently and then uh, they, they, they become hard, much harder to maintain, right? So, so the longer and longer your test suite uh, it takes, you kind of get in this vicious cycle of uh, like batching up more and more work and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, the, the quality of that code kind of deteriorates over time because you can only give it so much attention. It's, taking, it's consuming all of your time. Um, so, so it just doesn't scale very well. That's, that's, the, that's a traditional problem associated with GUI testing, I think. And then somebody decides to wrap the whole thing in Docker. <laughs> yeah. Well, you still got you still got the, the different processes inside Docker. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So I mean, so how can you get around this problem then? Do you... <laughs> well, I know one way. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, tell us about tell us about tell us about what you've done. Because okay. you, I know that you've done something really, really exciting uh, to try and address these problems that I guess our listeners uh, probably haven't even heard of uh, because it's brand new. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, top secret project, but uh, I, I guess we'll be uh, announcing it anytime soon. Uh, I've I've built a uh, a 
a kind of wrapper for Cucumber JS. Uh, so this is a way of uh, executing Cucumber uh, features uh, that shoves uh, Cucumber JS inside uh, Electron. So Electron is a um, is a framework for building desktop applications uh, based on web technologies. Um, and Electron, you might have used uh, you might have used it in the form of say the Atom editor or the Slack client. Um, it, it gives uh, kind of web programmers a way of building desktop apps. Now, we're kind of uh, using it for an unusual purpose here, but what we're doing is, um, so, so I've built a, a tool called Cucumber Electron, um, and Cucumber Electron uh, runs Cucumber.js inside a Chromium renderer process. And so what that means in practice um, is that you can, uh, you can execute Cucumber.js um, uh, in the in the context of a uh, process that already has a DOM in it, and so that means that if your application is developed in JavaScript, then there's a real sweet spot for kind of loading up your application code, so the back end code, so to speak, and the front end code inside the same process. And this breaks down this idea of like uh, having a, a, an, a you know in, inter process communication because it all happens in the same process. And so of course what that means is that when things go wrong, uh, you get stack traces that point back to the uh, the source of the error. Uh, you get an awful lot uh, less asynchrony, so uh, you can you can write synchronous step definitions, for example, um, and you can debug the whole thing inside your your uh, Chrome developer tools. Um, so I think I mean I've been using this for a little while on a few projects and. Uh, it's a real joy compared to the traditional uh, approach of um, uh, Selenium and and you know driving Selenium uh, in a remote browser. Um, so of course it doesn't it it doesn't uh, do exactly this. It's it's not directly comparable to um, Cucumber step definitions pointing at Selenium. Uh, most importantly, I guess because it doesn't solve the cross browser problem. Uh, but what it does do is uh, gives you a much simpler uh, developer time um, way to uh, debug and uh, and write really fast uh, uh, step definitions. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess. Can you just cl clarify? Can I ask a stupid question about it then? So you said like sure. everything runs in the same process: the tests and the GUI. Yeah. And the back end are all running in the same process. So how do the GUI and how does the GUI talk to the back end? Because normally, if the GUI was in a browser and the back end yeah. was on a server, they'd have to talk yeah. through HTTP. So do they still talk to each other through HTTP? Right, you don't have to write like a new layer of um, no, they things that query okay, your back end. So, that's right. So so uh, well. In uh, this uh, Electron process, so Electron's based on Node, so that means that if, you're, if you've got a Node web app, um, then you can spin up your web server, serving up your backend, and you can spin up your, your front-end code all in the same process. So they can still talk to each other over HTTP. Uh, it's really quick and easy to spin up an HTTP server in the Node process. Um, or uh, there's options for... Um, uh, bridging the gap between the back and front end. Well, I say there's options. There's a, there's another little tool that we can talk about in a minute that um, uh, that 
kind of bridges that 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 simulates the HTTP communication between the two, but makes a direct connection between them. So uh, a colleague of mine, um, Derek has Derek Eakins has uh, developed a little library called uh, Vine Hill, which is um, which is solving that problem. So it's kind of taking a um, taking a, a web app, a Node web app, uh, say your Express app, and um, and then taking your uh, front-end code, which might be talking to that web app over, say, Ajax using any old, uh, you know, uh, let's say, uh, well, any Ajax library, um, and directly gluing that that front-end code to the back-end code. So there is no HTTP. So of course, what that means is that uh, it's really, really fast. Um, yeah. But it also so you're means... sort of short-circuiting the I/O that would happen to make exactly. the HTTP request. Yeah. So, so yeah, so so in its most basic form, you would spin up an HTTP server, and and one would talk over the HTTP protocol. Um, but again, because it's in a single process, uh, you know, you can you can put breakpoints in uh, uh, in the front end and the back end, and you can kind of step through. And that's been that's been a, a thing that's really really tough to uh, step through when there are issues. Um, uh, but then, yeah, the the ultimate is to kind of chop out HTTP altogether. So, so you know, so some some people have had the, this kind of experience using tools like Rack Test, right? Uh, Rails users yeah. have been doing this for a while. But what, of course, what they haven't been doing is running the JavaScript code on the front end. So the the more and more JavaScript code that they have, the riskier and riskier that gets over time. So, uh, so that's when you need to switch back into Selenium and go really slow again. So, uh, so I guess what Electron offers is this way to run both in the same process, and it's fast. It's fast over HTTP, but it's you know ridiculously fast um, <laughs> if you cut out the HTTP altogether. This is really really cool. Why aren't we not using it already? <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like it's it's a, it's a dream. So, can you think of any downsides of it? Like any anything that that you couldn't do with it, or that you need to you know resort to other uh, approaches in some cases? Uh, well, I guess the main one is the uh, cross-browser uh, stuff. Um, and so, yeah, it's not going to tell you that your the web app doesn't work in Firefox, for example. Um, but beyond that, I mean, uh, no, we've, we've used it to. And I mean, I guess the other one is that, that if your web app isn't developed in, in JavaScript, uh, then it then, uh, you know, it's not such a nice fit. But, you know, we're, we're still using Cucumber Electron um, to test uh, to, you know, to, to kind of cover uh, web apps written in other stacks, uh, so I'm using it with a client at the moment to test a Rails app. Um, and so even in that context, we have this situation where, um, you know, the Rails app has lots of uh, external services that it talks to. And the, uh, so the test code can kind of uh, manipulate the UI uh, on the front end, so click buttons and so forth, but it can also spin up uh, web services in the same process, representing the back end bits that the Rails app talks to. And then you can point your Rails app to, you know, in a special mode to kind of talk to your fake services. And as you run those scenarios, you've kind of got this, this situation where you can put a breakpoint in, in your back end service and you can put a breakpoint in your front end service and, uh, or sorry, your, your front end, uh, you know, clicking buttons bits. And so you can kind of really step through a scenario in a way that was really difficult before, before that. And, and that's been a really, really nice kind of experience, even on uh, really legacy apps. Um, 
So yeah, uh, the, this ability to kind of uh, spin up HTTP services and uh, also click buttons on the front end uh, is, is a really useful technique in its own right, I think. All right. And how, how do you actually talk to the, to the system under test? Like, does it provide a specific uh, API, like Selenium, well, well, WebDrivers API, or do you just use whatever? Uh, no, it doesn't. And so I guess because people have been used to using Selenium for a long time, and, and because that's been the only way that you could really uh, do this stuff so far, um, there, there aren't really any options for, uh, you know, so you'd have, to, you'd have to use kind of low-level DOM APIs, which aren't really designed with this in mind. Although, although uh, you know, recently we've got kind of the ability to uh, simulate click events and so forth in Chrome, it's all still a bit low-level. So um, with that in mind, I mean, we've been using uh, this technique before Cucumber Electron um, appeared. Uh, for a little while, we've been using tools like Karma, which I'm not a great fan of. But, uh, but what I am a fan of is, is kind of running the tests inside a browser DOM, right? inside a process that's already running the DOM. Um, so we've got a library called Browser Monkey, which kind of uh, fills that gap of like uh, interacting with a web page um, and then writing assertions about what happens in the DOM. Now, that library is designed with um, with uh, retries in mind, so you know because because it can be quite unpredictable when things are you know in a in a in a very asynchronous front end when things are going to appear. So for example, you might be trying to click a button, but it only result you know only appears as the result of some other AJAX call. This is quite a typical kind of scenario in a single page app. Um, well, then the, you know the most convenient programming model for that is to say uh, just try and click the button and the and and the tool uh, so that the the your kind of automation library uh, should in that case kind of implicitly wait for that thing to appear for a certain amount of time before uh, before giving up um, and then eventually when that button appears then uh, then it will click that button and carry on with the test now uh, selenium has this system of kind of implicit weights built into it um, but it only goes so far so uh, browser monkey is kind of designed to solve this problem um, now, what's interesting, I guess, in the in the context of Cucumber Electron or Electron in general, is that uh, we really don't need that asynchrony anymore because it's you know once you've got everything in the same process, it's kind of entirely predictable when everything's going to happen, and so uh, therefore you don't need this system of implicit weights. So, uh, so I'm kind of working on uh, making Browser Monkey into uh, or at least providing a mode where it runs uh, entirely synchronously. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm kind of really interested in in uh, in going further on this idea of like testing heavily asynchronous uh, behavior, but using much more synchronous tests, which of course are, are kind of much much easier to write, um, but also uh, much more deterministic, which uh, I think is the frustration with uh, asynchronous testing in general. Yeah. So, so it sounds like the the biggest value for using Cucumber Electron comes comes for people who are writing uh, JavaScript on the back end and the front end? I think so. But like I say, uh, we've got a really slow Rails app that we've just taken on. <laughs> and, uh, and we're using it in that context. And it's, uh, and, and it's a really good fit there as well. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the JavaScript front and back end is like the really sweet spot. But uh, I can't think of a better way of testing that Rails app and kind of really getting a 
uh, it, I don't know if uh, uh, it, the I don't know exactly how how to describe it, but I guess the the idea is that you know you've got the Rails app in the middle, and then you've got the tests kind of both doing the you know automating the front end and the back end at the same time. It's kind of like clamping its behavior, um, and also you know allowing you to kind of put debugger statements in in either end. Really lets you kind of step through what's going on on either side of the the wire, right? So the user interacting with the front end, and then the Rails app interacting with. Uh, say third-party web services, uh, it's a real sweet spot for that as well. Uh, it's just not not quite the holy grail. Yeah, the you know the the uh, the really sweet spot for Cucumber Electron is definitely uh, where you've got your everything is written in JavaScript. In which case you can you can just run the whole lot inside one process, which is really sweet. Yeah. So for somebody who wants to, I mean, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure some of some of our listeners have already stopped listening and they're just checking out the <laughs> GitHub repository and uh, and and trying to you know play with it. What's what's the best way to get started with it? Is there some kind of like example project or something? You know, because there's a lot of new things. I guess this should um, be an example project, but no, it's very very early days. But it's a it's a drop in replacement for Cucumber JS. So uh, what that means is that you can continue to write your step definitions in exactly the same way. Execute execute the uh, you know the, the the runner in the same way. You just substitute the word uh, JS for Electron, and it runs in exactly the same way. It supports the same command line arguments. It supports one additional command line switch, which is uh, Electron debug, and when you run it with that switch, it will pop up your browser window, you can open your Chromium dev tools and you can uh, debug to your heart's content. Yeah. So I suppose the, 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 the difference is that, so you should be able to run any suite of uh, Cucumber JS 2.0 um, uh, scenarios um, using Cucumber Electron, but the, uh, what you can start to do then is that, the, that you have this uh, window right so you ha you can just start using a window and document and so forth straight from your step definitions um, and that's already in scope and so so the traditional way to do it might be let's say if you if you've got a um, if you've got say a react app or some, a virtual dom app uh, then you would just create an element uh, mount your app on that element start clicking away on the on the uh, on the dom elements that that thing creates um, and uh, yeah, like I say, kind of spin. You know, if you've got a legacy app, uh, spin up a uh, something on the back end that that it talks to, and uh, um, configure your app to kind of talk to your the the in process uh, mocks would be a traditional way to use it. Um, so. Yeah, like I say, um, Cucumber Electron really is only a few weeks old, uh, <laughs> uh, but over the over the coming weeks and months, uh, I'll be putting out some examples of of uh, how to use it. There's one example that people can look at if they're uh, interested in seeing how how uh, how you could use it. Uh, I've been working on a project for the BBC uh, called BBC Alley, uh, which is a kind of accessibility linter uh, that's using Cucumber Electron. Uh, it's hard to imagine how how we could drive that thing without GUI testing. So I guess it's a, a, a good example of uh, why GUI testing is still relevant uh, and important. Um, and of course, that uses uh, a DOM, um, and so has lots of step definitions that that uh, you know uh, manipulate elements and so forth. But I guess uh, what that doesn't really cover is this uh, interaction with uh, web pages. Um, so um, yeah, I uh, 
Hmm, I'm trying to think. Um, I'm not sure if there's an example yet uh, that, that I can think of out there that uses uh, the suite of tools that I'm talking about, but I'll put one together over the next uh, week or two and, uh, and link to it from the Cucumber Electron repository for anybody that's interested. So what I think is really interesting with, with, with this developer is how it changes the, or how I think it will change um, some, of the, um, some of the conventional wisdom, right? So people, like you said, people have been saying for, for many years now, or at least people, people who, um, yeah, lots of people have been saying, don't test with the UI because this, because that. Uh, and, and all of this advice, which is based on, uh, on a certain context, right, which, is, which has been predominant, which is, you know, you, you've, you've got a browser in a different process and um, and it's slow and so on but when you when you change the context then then those recommendations no longer apply right because the recommendations for that context so if you can you know if people start using this um, you know what what kind of we, I guess we need to come up with some recommendations about but the recommendations would be different. Like, what should you what should you do and what shouldn't you do, right? Um, I, I'm I'm not expressing myself very well here. Um, That's like you're trying to ask if the, is the testing pyramid dead now? Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just, exactly. Is it okay to have a testing ice cream cones now because they taste nice? Because they tasted the electron, <laughs> but it's all fine. Like I'm not going to get yeah. fat because it's like electrons, low fat ice cream. No problem. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we really have started thinking like that a while ago. Um, uh, me and my team, that is. Um, we've started eating those ice cream cones and uh, really enjoying them. But, you know, we, we've done that by, by using, uh, by, by kind of, because we're developing client and server JavaScript apps, we've done that by kind of bundling up all of the JavaScript for the client and server, running that all inside a web browser, um, or as much as possible, um, maybe simulating the, the, the back-end dependencies such as databases and so forth, so making a little uh, port or uh, an adapter for you know, an in-memory implementation of the, the database. Um, but I think where, where this, this goes to a new level is that um, because the, the, the Chrome, Chromium uh, JavaScript engine has uh, a lot of the fancy new features of JavaScript, uh, we get away from that, uh, that um, transpile step that has really uh, <laughs> that oh, has re yeah. really hurt the TDD cycle, right? So, so that that's another thing that I haven't really mentioned, which is that uh, that you get really fast feedback uh, without using Babel. Um, now, the the only exception to that rule is 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 JSX, of course, uh, which is that um, people still like to use uh, Babel to transpile things other than their, their JavaScript. Uh, and so there's still a transpile step for, for those, those bits, but uh, we're getting to a really like, extremely fast TDD cycle and one where, uh, where you can just leave this browser window open, hit refresh, and it will rerun all of your tests and uh, reload everything um, off the disk. And so, yeah, I really do think it is, uh, uh, you know, it represents a, a, a change in in the the shape of the uh, testing pyramid, personally. Um, I, okay, I like 
I want to challenge it. So the advice of the testing pyramid and the advice about not testing through the GUI, it isn't just from web apps, is it? And it isn't just from like you've got your tests and you've got your UI and you've got your back end running in separate processes. Um, people have been saying this like from when they've been building, uh, you know, GUI applications where everything is running in the same process on in the developer environment in .NET Windows Forms or Java Swing or something like that, and um, like it it solves some of the problems using something like Cucumber Electron, but it still doesn't get away from the fact that UIs change more frequently than other parts and. Uh, if you're testing all of your business rules from the user interface, you don't necessarily get a good indicator of where the failure is, is happening inside the system. Just because a message doesn't appear on the front end doesn't mean that actually the problem is in um, some something lower down in the application that uh, you've, you've built the wrong... You've got a bug in a small piece lower down. Or well, there's yeah, no TDD no. pressure about where to put that responsibility. So you right. end up with just like a big blob of of mud, big ball of mud instead of having a design. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So I think uh, to to respond to that point, though, I mean, one of the one of the things that you guys, the Cucumber Mob, have have taught me really is is how to do this this uh, hexagonal thing really well. I think, um, and that that I really see as a solution to that problem, which is. Um, which is that uh, you, you know you have ports and adapters on both the application side, um, but also on the test side. And uh, so what that means is that you know you, you run the same features uh, with alternative implementations of uh, both the uh, dependencies of the application itself, so the databases uh, and so forth, but also the UI. And so that means that that uh, your test can speak to directly to that layer underneath the uh, the UI and not drive real you know, not click buttons, but talk to an HTTP interface that represents your API. Um, and so I really think that that gives you a way of, of kind of dividing and conquering uh, and making sure that you don't you don't put uh, put those things in the wrong places, you know, that you have sane interfaces in all the right places. So um, I'm not claiming that the, this uh, turning turning the uh, ice cream cone up upside down is is uh, the end of the story by any means. Uh, I also think that um, that this this technique of kind of uh, running the same same set of tests in lots of different modes uh, is a way to to have kind of really fast feedback at development time to to kind of guide your design and then uh, and then run run the same stuff uh, slower and slower and slower using you know uh, using alternative uh, adapters for the same behavior. And that really, uh, I found that that that's really helped uh, guide design. Uh, fast feedback first, and then uh, once once we've got um, scenarios passing with you know talking directly to those those lower layers, uh, then you kind of move up to the slow slower parts. And in in, in our case, we've been using Selenium, um, but I'm hoping that we uh, we can we can. Uh, use use Electron in place of uh, of Selenium, and that doesn't Me that too. doesn't. Uh, 
Yeah, that doesn't mean we'll stop using Selenium, but what that means is that the, the fast implementations of those things kind of reinforce the slow implementations. They make them less likely to fail because you've, you've been forced to think about the design uh, on, on a really fast feedback cycle. Um, and, and it gives you this, this opportunity to kind of triangulate on where the, the issues are. When, so when there is a failure, you can say, well, it, 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 it's failing with the Selenium adapter, but it's not failing with the, uh, the in-memory adapter or the, the, you know, the cucumber electron adapter and so forth so so I think uh, you, you know while, while you might still want to carry on uh, doing cross-browser testing it you know this is this is uh, a tool that will make that that will make uh, cross-browser testing easier because you've ruled out stupid mistakes before you get to the the, the slow running suite if you like it sounds to me like we are also saying that the testing pyramid is not dead because all that ports and adapters stuff that you're talking about is really saying that the you still want the day-to-day -day fast tests that you run on your GUI to be still relatively shallow, that like yeah. they're integrating the UI and whatever necessary bits of the back end it needs to be a kind of cohesive component to run tests through, but actually try and keep it quite shallow and not integrate it with the message queues and the search engine and all those other bits and pieces. So that's still somewhere in the kind of middle of the pyramid, right? The tip of the pyramid yeah. is the bit where you plug in the Postgres and the Elasticsearch and the the Selenium tests, and then you kind of uh, cringe and wait for the the first flicker to 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 bug you. But but like you know that's what's going to happen at the top of the pyramid because that's what it's about. It's like you you get a really really thorough test that covers everything, but it's also there's some risk with it. So yeah, and if you yeah, only run those tests every now and again, it's not it's not as painful. Yeah, I completely agree. I just think that actually uh, a large part of that advice is really about the speed of those tests, um, which is that if you can get fast feedback from very big tests, uh, you know, big big tests are nice because they're, they're not coupled to incidental details. That, that's that's the nice thing. So, so actually, we just have found that we've started writing more and more very big tests, and uh, we can afford to do that because we can afford to maintain them over time. And nobody's had to mention page objects or even screenplay patterns. So we've managed to do a whole interesting conversation for an hour without <laughs> having to talk about page objects. Great. Well done, everyone. <laughs> That's almost a great way to end it then, Matt. Thank you. Yeah. Page objects are useful. Screenplay pattern is very useful. Don't get me wrong. But there are other solutions to these problems. That's, that's my point. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just I have no love for the page object pattern at all. Like Browser Monkey is based around this page object pattern. And I just think I just don't like it. Uh, I like everything that Browser Monkey does except for the page object bit. <laughs> we'll have to get you back to talk about that. I I yeah. I I think page object is better than like a mess of selectors in your step definitions, but uh, well, then, but that, only but only just. <laughs> yeah. But that, then what, why have a mess of selectors, you know? Yeah. <laughs> why not have nice selectors? Well, the, the, again, it's the same reason. It's that, that your feedback cycle is so slow that changing the selectors is just too expensive. Um, so, so they deteriorate over time. Nice semantic selectors are a page object model. That's the whole point. Or a document object model. Yeah. I think we need to, uh, we, I think we need to convince Josh now to come to QCup um, and give a presentation or maybe a tutorial about Cucumber Electron. Because I think this this is a new this is a new hotness. Yeah, all right, I'll do that. I think you already convinced me that when I was drunk the other night. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Good. I don't remember. I don't. I can't remember that at all. Okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I've said it publicly now. Okay. Well, this this was super. I mean, I didn't. I've I've had Josh showing me cucumber electron like very briefly, uh, but I did not expect this this conversation to take this turn. Um, I, I, I learned a lot, uh, and it, it's, it, I love having, having my, my established beliefs being challenged. Uh, so I'm, I'm walking away from this, this talk with a bunch of new questions and uh, a lot of curiosity. Thanks. I'm walking away from this talk and playing with Cucumber Electrum. <laughs> yeah. Really? Me too. <laughs> well, can we do that in a mob? Oh, you just... yes. yes, we can. Yeah. Great. Yes, so, we okay. can. You said yes, we can today with Trump. Yeah, like, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the... Let's make cucumber great again. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make cucumber great again, yeah. Oh, Brilliant. Super. So, Josh, apart from Cucumber Electron, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, I think I've plugged everything that I intended to plug. So, uh, what was it? Browser Monkey, Vine Hill, uh, Cucumber Electron. Those are, those are your tools of choice for testing uh, modern web apps. Awesome. Okay. Um, so, thanks, everybody. Uh, that was a great podcast on the Cucumber Podcast. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud, I think at least, or there's an RSS feed. Um, all of the links will be in the show notes. Um, thanks very much, Josh. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks everyone else. Goodbye.